0: Dr. Jennifer Mukija here, your private wellness consultant detective. Thank you for joining me for episode 5 The Gods Must Be Crazy. Life in North Africa heavily revolves around and frequently celebrates that most important of passions food. Cooking continues to occupy a prominent place in everyday life. And eating with family and friends is both paramount and commonplace. In expressing an unparalleled notion of hospitality, food plays a fundamental role. Feed your guests, goes a proverb, even if you are starving. Such lessons were apparent from the first time I visited the region over two decades ago. I grew up in the American Pacific Northwest, did my postgraduate work in London and then, in 1996, settled in Spain. It wasn't long before I headed to Morocco. Travels around Tunisia and Algeria soon followed. Seduced by North Africa's food culture, deeply fascinated by its traditions and charmed by its people. I have made repeated visits and extended stays continually since then. Early on I noticed that the tables are very often round rather than square or rectangular, something both practical and symbolic. The cuisines of North Africa are for sharing and meant to be eaten together, from the same table, even the same dish, with salads, couscous, and tagines or long-cooked stews set in the middle of the table. Everyone is equidistant and has a similar reach. With no head of the table, there's a natural levelling in hierarchy, at least during mealtimes. Such tables tend to, be chatty, tend to be chatty, noisy places, but so are the dishes themselves that people have gathered around. The food of North Africa is anything but hushed. It's bold. It's colourful, it's diverse, it's deeply original. And, I quickly learned, it tells both individual and communal stories that are remarkable. That's the opening passage of the introduction to the North African Cookbook by Jeff Keller. An absolutely wonderful volume that I've been delighted to get my hands on just this week. I'm very excited to explore this book. I think if you're after a comforting and inviting, as Yotam Ottolenghi described it, cookbook, to take you through the cooler season here in the Southern Hemisphere, or indeed to take solace in any time of year, I would highly recommend this book. More than just a cookbook, this beautifully detailed compendium frames the landscape for the food that is presented, A brief history of North Africa, and additional concise yet resonant snapshots of each country contained therein. After spending the afternoon perusing the offerings, I'm truly torn at where to begin. There is a whole section on couscous a seven vegetable couscous that looks particularly nourishing but also a spicy lamb couscous with onion and chickpea topping that I can almost taste gazing at the beautiful photography by Simon Bahada. Now flicking through the pages I can also see a very interesting couscous with group of fish and honestly it just goes on and on. I've just opened up to the section on couscous and it feels there are already innumerable variations to delve into. My own South African heritage means I'm quite familiar with semolina as an ingredient and so I'm very intrigued to try these date-filled semolina cookies for which she has comprehensively included a no-bake version and the pan-cooked semolina date bars. There are recipes for date syrup and date jam, which I think will prove indispensable, as well as old favourites such as shakshuka, which is one of my husband's favourite breakfasts. So I'm delighted that that's been included as well. So I'll need to report back to you on this one as it's just reached me. I think in the unlikely event you're not using this in the kitchen, it would be gorgeous on the coffee table as well. Allow me to read you this about the book extract I've obtained from Booktopia. A collection of 445 exciting and accessible recipes that celebrate North Africa's vibrant and diverse food culture. Life in North Africa heavily revolves around that most important of passions, food. Drawing on Berber, Arabic and Ottoman influences as well as French, Spanish and Italian ones, This gorgeous cookbook explores the culinary diversity of the Maghreb, a region that spans Morocco, Algeria, Tunisia, and Libya. With 445 delicious and authentic North African dishes that can easily be recreated at home, this treasure trove of a book reveals an exciting cuisine that is as varied and fascinating as the countries it covers. Irresistible recipes and stunning photography bring the region to life, from the Atlantic and Mediterranean coast in the west and the north across farmland, orchards, plateaus carpeted in wheat and mountain peaks to the Great Sahara in the south and east. A series of essays scattered throughout the book introduce key ingredients and cultural traditions Adding depth to Jeff Keller's compelling introduction, which celebrates food culture in Morocco, Algeria, Tunisia, and Libya, as well as providing a brief history of North Africa itself. From griddled flatbreads and zesty salads to aromatic tagines, grilled meat and fish, and honey-rich pastries. The North African cookbook showcases an unprecedented and authoritative collection of traditional and contemporary recipes for the home cook from this most intriguing and varied of regions. Jeff Keller, winner of a James Beard Award, International Association of Culinary Professionals Awards and Gourmand World Cookbook Prizes, is an American writer and cook who lives in Spain. For the past two decades he has traveled widely in North Africa. He is the author of seven critically acclaimed books and his writing and recipes have appeared in the Washington Post, Saviour, NPR, Afar and other media outlets. In terms of industry reviews, a thorough investigative journey through the food of the Maghreb full of comforting and inviting recipes. Yotam Ottolenghi chef, restaurateur, and food writer. So again, that was the North African cookbook by Jeff Keller. Let's head south now to my mother's homeland and talk about rooibos. Rooibos is a herbal tea I've been drinking since I was a baby. It's caffeine-free, low tannin, anti-inflammatory marvel with a mild sweet flavor that can be enjoyed hot or cold recently i've noticed that it's been touted as having 50 times more antioxidants than green tea which i found intriguing and in line with discussions on our previous episodes surrounding oxidative stress reduction with arjuna rooibos too has been found to improve lipid profiles and improve redox status for these reasons, I was pleasantly surprised to come across a very recent review article published just this year on the topic. It's titled, Robust Tea, in the crossfire of reactive oxygen species, mitochondrial dysfunction and loss of proteostasis, positioned for healthy aging, and it's by Smith et al. Firstly, I would like to very much thank the authors at Stellenbosch University for kindly forwarding me a copy. This is a dream review article on Voibos, one that I've always wanted to read, and it's very recent, published in February of this year in the Journal of Biogerontology. The aims and scope of the Journal of Biogerontology in which this article is published, as described on the springer.com website is to, quote, offer a platform for research which aims primarily at unravelling the biological mechanisms of ageing with an aim of achieving healthy old age. The focus is on efforts to understand, prevent, cure or minimise age-related impairments. Biogerontology provides a peer-reviewed forum for publishing reviews and original research data new ideas and discussions on modulating the aging process by physical, chemical and biological means including transgenic and knockout organisms, cell culture systems to develop new approaches and healthcare products for maintaining or recovering the lost biochemical functions, immunology, autoimmunity and infection in aging, vertebrates, invertebrates, microorganisms and plants for experimental studies on genetic determinants of aging and longevity and biodemography and theoretical models linking aging and survival kinetics. Biogerontology publishes original research reports, reviews, hypotheses, new methods and interviews and special issues on topics relating to aging, health and longevity. This journal also publishes special guest edited issues and collections. The peer review process for these articles is the same as the peer review process of the journal in general. Additionally, if the guest editor or editors authors an article in their special issue, they will not handle the peer review process. Okay, so that quote from the journal website gives us the essence of the Journal of Biogerontology in which this article is published. For those of you perhaps less familiar with scientific literature, a review article is a compilation of known evidence on a subject compiled into a readable, digestible format and, as such, is one of my favourite types of articles to read. Now, there are different levels of scientific evidence and also of scientific reviews. From what I understand this review attempts to be general rather than systematic which would be a prescriptive, procedural and exhaustive attempt at a complete review, however it's very thorough nonetheless with by my count over 90 references and some stellar diagrams to boot. Now if you're unfamiliar with the term proteostasis as referenced in the title, Let's read about it from the University of Wollongong in Australia's website for their Centre for Proteostasis and Disease Research. What is proteostasis? Maintaining protein homeostasis or proteostasis is important in the normal housekeeping of the body. The control of protein homeostasis heavily relies on molecular chaperones and protein degradation. However, in reality, there are many processes in place to ensure that proteostasis is maintained. In order to produce a properly functioning protein, the process of transcription, RNA processing and transport, translation, protein folding, protein transport and ultimately protein degradation must be tightly regulated. Proteostasis can be thought of as a closed system with a finite capacity. Although the capacity or volume of the system can be changed and altered by increasing or decreasing the concentration of its components, for example, molecular chaperones. Under normal conditions, the capacity of the system is enough to maintain proteostasis. However, there are a number of ways to overload this. Genetic mutations that increase the propensity of a peptide or a protein to aggregate would increase the workload of a number of components of the system and may exceed its capacity. However, it appears that an additional coincidence strain on any other protein homeostasis mechanism can add to the cumulative workload and result in the capacity of the system as a whole being exceeded. This may explain the age-related appearance of insoluble protein deposits associated with a range of diseases, including amyloidosis and motor neuron disease, even though the involved proteins are initially effectively maintained in a soluble and fully functional state. Given the intimate link between dysfunctions of proteostasis and many serious diseases, it's imperative that research in this area is continued and expanded. Okay, so again, that was from the University of Wollongong in Australia's website, outlining proteostasis. You'll find a link to their website in the episode description. Now with that explained, let me read the abstract of the Stellenbosch review article for which for you which to refresh is titled Robust T in the crossfire of reactive oxygen species, mitochondrial dysfunction and loss of proteostasis positioned for healthy aging. Let's read the abstract. Impaired mitochondrial function and loss of cellular proteostasis control are key hallmarks of aging and are implicated in the development of neurodegenerative diseases. A common denominator is the cell's inability to handle reactive oxygen species, leading to major downstream oxidative damage that exacerbates neuronal dysfunction. Although we have progressed in understanding the molecular defects associated with neuronal aging, many unanswered questions remain. How much reactive oxygen species are required to serve cellular function before they become detrimental? And how does the cell's oxidative status impact mitochondrial function and protein degradation through autophagy? How do reactive oxygen species regulate autophagy? Aspalathus linearis, also commonly known as rooibos, is an endemic South African plant that is gaining acclaim globally for its antioxidant properties and its role as a functional medicinal beverage. In this article, we dissect the role of rooibos in the context of the cell's reactive oxygen species handling capacity mitochondrial function and autophagy activity. By addressing the dynamic relationship between these critical interconnected systems and by evaluating the functional properties of roboS, we unravel its position for preserving cell viability and promoting healthy aging. Now, before we further examine this article, we should mention any possible competing or conflict of interest. The authors don't declare any competing interests, but we should note that this lovely article is funded by the South African Robos Council. Now, let's get into the body of the review. Firstly, aging is deemed to be loss of proteostasis. Proteostasis is another term for protein homeostasis. It's believed that protein homeostasis and dysfunction therein underlies as bedrock what we describe as ageing. More specifically, there is, to quote the article, accumulated oxidative stress, impaired reactive oxygen species handling and protein misfolding. In essence, it seems to be that proteins, lipids and nucleic acids become damaged by oxidative stress and thereby accumulate as their deformed nature belies the attempts that homeostasis cell would normally employ. So therefore, what happens when you lose proteostasis? Well, this deformity arising from oxidative stress happens because free radical molecules with unpaired valence electrons within their orbits are highly volatile, and therefore interfere with normal cellular processes resulting in loss of the usual proteostasis. Now, you may ask, where do these free radicals originate? Where do they come from? Why are they there? And what is their ordained cellular role? Well, they come from normal metabolism. And the real role of reactive oxygen species is to be a regulator for autophagy, which is how the body cleans house, so to speak, how it refreshes and recycles old cellular material. If left unhinged or uncontrolled, Unregulated autophagy can be very damaging to the body. What happens if autophagy is unregulated? If this process of autophagy becomes unhinged, unregulated, it could result in destruction of healthy bodily tissues. An example of this can be seen in the example of those people on very low protein diets who may experience as first-line symptoms loss of nail, skin and hair health, as the body selectively prioritises more vital organs by theoretically increasing autophagy in those tissues deemed less critical. If you're interested in reviewing a study which does a deep dive into this, some lovely photos and diagrams, I've attached a link to a 2019 Indian dermatology article in the description for your perusal. Okay, so now that we have a bit of a clearer understanding of some of the key concepts surrounding proteostasis, that is protein homeostasis within the cell, including the damaging effect of dysregulated free radical production, including the usual non-pathologic role of free radicals, Let's proceed to look at what the authors of this review on rooibos have expounded upon. Aspelathus linearis is the Latin name for the plant, indigenous to South Africa and commonly referred to as rooibos. The name Aspelathus refers, as detailed in the 2023 publication of the South African herbal pharmacopoeia, to its genus, which is in reference to the name of a scented bush that grew in Greece. And the epithet linearis is Latin for the term linear, which refers to the shape of the shrubs slender leaves. If you follow the link in the description to the pharmacopoeia, you'll be able to see some beautiful photos of the Robos plant. It's red stems and thin green leaves with examples of both the red fermented and oxidised, and green teas, unfermented, that can be produced. It does appear that the fresher green variety does preserve the antioxidant properties of the tea to a greater extent. The key benefits of rooibos include that it's naturally caffeine free, and so can be consumed regularly throughout the day without affecting sleep, can be taken in a variety of ways with milk and raw sugar or black, hot or iced and even turned into what is termed a red bush latte which I had the pleasure of enjoying for the first time during my visit to Cape Town. It's lovely to be able to enjoy a cup of tea just before bed without worrying about being kept up through the night. It has quite a mild and sweet flavour that most people and even children can enjoy. If taken with milk, it is particularly delicious accompanied by buttermilk rusks. This review article in particular focuses on the polyphenol and more specifically flavonoid content of rooibos and the antioxidant effects this precipitates. Flavonoids such as aspalathin, quercetin. And isoorientin found in robots are able to maintain proteostasis through a four pronged approach. Firstly, they act to decrease inflammation at the level of gene transcription, reducing activation of nuclear factor kappa beta and the rollout of inflammatory cytokines. Secondly, they act to directly reduce synthesis of cytokines which are involved in upregulating inflammation. For example, TNF-alpha, IL-6 and nitric oxide. Thirdly, they inhibit downstream effects of oxidative stress by capping reactive oxygen species production and lipid peroxidation. Finally, the mitochondria themselves are benefited and protected from dysregulation as observed in Mice in Vivo study. Some specific examples touted within the review include from page 158, quote, importantly, neuronal oxidative status has been shown to improve upon robus exposure. Long-term administration of robust T suppress the aggregation of age-related lipid peroxides in multiple areas of the rodent brain. And also regarding the flavonoid aspiratin contained within Robos from page 152 of the review, quote, Robos is the only known natural source of aspalathin. And from page 154, quote, Asperlatin specifically has demonstrated this ability by inducing cell survival to a rate of 50% in a lethal endotoxemia model. Now, as always, this podcast is not intended as medical advice and should not be treated as such, and you should always consult your physician before trying anything new. It's important to remember that all products, even naturally occurring ones, may have unintended side effects, and some of these may yet to be fully elucidated. For example, I did note a recent article in January of 2023 that there is some preliminary evidence that rooibos may have some suppressive reproductive tendencies through its effect on the ovary. Again, this is quite preliminary work, but just further elucidates that our knowledge is still to be expounded in this area as it is with many herbal, medicinal and traditional products. Again, please see a link to this article in the description should you like to read further. Now, let's continue with our South African theme now in the region of Robos, and let me introduce you to a hilarious comedy that was an unexpected Boxhoffer's hit from the 1980s entitled The Gods Must Be Crazy. If you need some sunshine in your life, rest assured that you will not be able to resist heartily belly laughing your way through this comical fable. I will say that for modern audiences, there are occasional cringeworthy tribal characterizations, but I still believe that this is overall a wonderful, light-hearted, and uplifting piece of cinema. In a New York Times article, published at the time the director Jamie Eyes described it's just a slapstick comedy with no message. I've been making comedies most of my life and I never put a message in. It's bad for business. It's arrogant to put messages in. You rob your audiences of putting in their own messages. I think after you watch this film you'll understand why he said this. It's absolutely charming. Now, changing track a bit, for those of you who enjoyed episode two, Rosa Species, I've continued to delve into new ways to explore this most remarkable of flowers. Recently, I put my own twist on one of Nigella's ice cream recipes to create a very easy but no less delicious rose ice cream. Nigella has a great base recipe for no-churn ice cream which combines 300 mils of cream, I use thickened cream in Australia, with 175 grams of condensed milk. With a couple of tablespoons of liqueur, I used whiskey to stop the ice cream from setting rock hard. I then added two and a half tablespoons of shahi gulkhand or rose petal jam, which you can obtain from an Indian grocer half a teaspoon of vanilla extract, half a teaspoon of rose water, which you can also get from an Indian grocer, and blended this in a mixer until stiff peaks formed. I then folded in a quarter of a cup of chopped almonds and placed it in the freezer in an airtight container for six hours. And I'm happy to report the outcome was ultra delicious, especially because it's such a doddle to make, and I hope you'll give it a try. Now, in closing, one final word on rooibos. In terms of making rooibos tea, I recommend the Just Rooibos organic brand I've been drinking for many years, which you can source from most larger supermarkets. It comes in red and black coloured cardboard box with a convenient bifoil package design, meaning the product maintains freshness for the maximum duration. That website is just-rooibos.com Let me read to you from their website. Just Robos is a family-run business since 1999. Rooibos tea, alternatively known as Red bush, is native to the Western Cape province of South Africa. Made from the leaves of the rooibos plant, which contain no caffeine, Robos has a distinctive aroma and slightly sweet flavour. Our robust tea is sustainably grown on the farm in Clan William, South Africa. That's taken again from the Just Rooibos website and you may find a link to their website in the description below. It's been lovely spending time with you today. I hope you've enjoyed our discussion on the new North Africa cookbook, our overview of a recent literature review on Rooibos and, of course, I hope you will take the plunge into the South African classic, The Gods Must Be Crazy, perhaps while sipping a rooibos or even enjoying your very own rose ice cream. Before we close, I'd like to remind you of our Pinterest page at Dr Jennifer McKeeja, Private Wellness Consultant Detective, where you'll find artistic digital visual inspiration I've pinned that I find inspiring and may also align with podcast-associated themes. Thank you again for joining me today. This has been Dr. Jennifer Mukija, your private wellness consultant detective.